You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On today's show, we sit down with Vanessa Russells, who is the founder of Love Never Fails. They're committed to the restoration, education, and protection of young people who are at risk of or currently being sexually exploited in California. Since inception, they have educated thousands on the issue, trained over 100 mentors for positive change, launched an elementary, middle, and high school abuse prevention program, and located over 100 missing and exploited women and children and provided young women with sustainable jobs in IT, real estate, banking, healthcare, etc. They are a state-certified cybersecurity pre-apprentice program, Cisco Networking Academy, Cal Jobs Trainers, and Department of Rehab Vendors. On today's show, we talk about what are the responsibilities of the app stores to censor or block apps targeting children? How is cryptocurrency playing a part in human trafficking? Can technology be used to help find missing children? And much more. This is a very touching episode. So people, I'm just going to warn you in advance. There might be some graphic descriptions that some people might not be comfortable with, but this is an important topic. So let's get right into the show. Everyone, enjoy. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. Vanessa, thank you for taking the time today to be on the Silicon Valley Podcast. Now, I'm super excited for you to be here. You were introduced to me by Sam Wong, who was a past guest, who I got so much great feedback from our audience. I mean, he really went off about fundable startups and basically people keep asking more and more information. So since he introduced you, I'm super excited for this. And when I discovered your background, we had an introductory call. I'm amazed. I was blown away about the work you're doing. But for our audience out there, can you give a little bit of background of your career up until this point? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show, Sean. I'm so excited to be here. And thank you to Sam. Boy, uh, Sam has gotten me into a lot of trouble in the past, Sam. Sam is, yeah, I'll tell you later about that. But, you know, my background, so the, actually where I met Sam was when I was working as a senior sales leader at Cisco Systems. And I did that for about 12 and a half years. I've worked in the IT world for just about 25 years. I left two years ago, Cisco, to run my nonprofit full-time, which is called Love Never Fails. And we address the issue of human trafficking throughout the nation. Wow. So over the years, I mean, that problem, has it changed or is it a consistent? Like, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I mean, you hear that term, but I mean, a lot of people just hear it. They don't really know what's going on. They don't know how profound it is. They, I mean, they don't really know much. Yeah. And I think I was in a similar place. I actually grew up in quite a bit of poverty. And of course, I knew about prostitution growing up. And there was a little bit of that going on with maybe older women. And I always thought, you know, I believe the myth that, oh, they want to be there. or That's a life they've chosen until in 2010, one of my 15 year old dance students was raped in Hayward and was sold throughout California for a year. And that was when I became aware of this epidemic. The term we've coined is human trafficking. That was coined probably in 2008, 2007 or so. Prior to that, it was just referred to as prostitution. And we really didn't know how to deal with it when children were being prostituted, right? And we now know that a child can't be a prostitute because that's a legal designation. It's actually penal code associated with that. They're actually victims of childhood rape. 
the children that I found when I was looking for my student, it was all too common. I found in 2011, although it was just kind of becoming, we were becoming aware as a society, as a community, it was an epidemic. I was going up and down certain streets in the Bay Area and seeing for the very first time people that were being sold and hidden in plain sight. And I just didn't know what I was looking at before. And when my eyes were opened, naturally I was crushed and many, many spent many sleepless nights was working in my plush job and I had my kids and I had my beautiful home. It sort of wrecked me. And from there, I decided I just couldn't shake it. And so that's when I started Love Never Fails. I'm kind of confused because you said that when you went out and you found, you're looking for your student, how were you able to find all these, but not the police, not, I guess, society in general? That's the interesting part about it is that if you don't know what you're looking at, you don't realize that you're actually encountering human trafficking all around you. One thing that has really become very clear, even looking in very affluent areas, for example, in Danville, one of the largest human trafficking stings and rings was running out of Danville, out of Blackhawk for 13 years. The exploiter in that case just received over a hundred years in jail for exploiting a myriad of women over the course of those 13 years. And there he lived with his wife and his two daughters, who I actually happened to taught dance to unbeknowingly, because again, I was teaching dance. These things are happening in front of us. People that are doing our nails, that are giving us massages, people that are cooking our food, people that are selling fruit on the side of the road or picking our fruit in farms. They are experiencing labor trafficking and sex trafficking And we're not aware because maybe we don't know what to look for. We don't know what the signs are. And of course, there are certain areas in our community that are a little bit more known for sex trafficking. And so those would be the streets where people are being sold. They're called Blade. You might find them in Oakland, in San Jose, in Hayward, in some of the larger, more urban cities, San Francisco. But it's happening all around. I mean, I could literally go and search online right now and do a search for erotic girls and all of these ads would pop up. That's crazy. Cause when I think Blackhawk, I think nice gated community. I think when you go there for Halloween, you get one pound bags of M&M's, yeah. you know, Skittles. Yeah. Everyone's driving their golf carts. Like that, right. that's my vision of Blackhawk. The name of the show is the Silicon Valley podcast and we focus around tech. So I have to ask you a few tech questions yeah. related to this. Sure. Cryptocurrency, lock or Bitcoin, all those, does that play a part in it? And as that grows, are you seeing that involved? Absolutely. I actually just did a national presentation for the Think Big conference for the anti-money laundering group of, there were like 800 bankers at this conference last week. And the part I talked about is the intersection between human trafficking and banking transactions. The financial industry interacts with 94% of human trafficking, 94%. What do I mean by that? Well, whenever someone is buying someone, there is a trail, there is a breadcrumb. There are things that they're doing. They're buying a hotel, they're buying a rental car, they're buying a plane, they're getting something at the convenience store, perhaps condoms of something of that nature. And there's a really some great patterns that you can begin to look at from a banking industry to actually file suspicious activity reports, which is people who are accountable to FinCEN 
they need, they're required to file these SARS reports. SARS is a suspicious activity report. And it, it's part of the whole sort of anti-money laundering FinCEN process, regulatory process, whereby if somebody is doing something that seems suspicious to a banker or a financial a member of the financial community, they have the obligation to report that. And so I was giving them some patterns that they should look for that show that there's some potential human trafficking going on. And in certain industries, there's things like structured deposits where you're depositing under a certain amount so you don't raise any red flags. There's things like the patterns of making purchases is one. There's things like putting people on your payroll, but they get paid very little because they're working under debt bondage, involuntary servitude, where they've been brought here maybe from another country and they have to be on a payroll in order to remain here and for their visas to be active, but they're only getting paid $10 and $15. Well, why is that? Well, because they're paying for their room and board. Well, how much are they paying for their room and board that they only have $15 left over? So these are the kinds of behaviors that we see, but specifically to cryptocurrency, recently there's a platform or a a website called Pornhub, which happens to receive 115 million visits a day. It has 169 years of video content unvetted user-generated content. In 2019, there were 118 confirmed cases of childhood rape. And these are not vetted videos that are being uploaded to Pornhub. Because this has now become a congressional investigation, the owners of the platform, they're called MindGeek. They're out of Canada. They have 135 other websites just like it, but this one happens to be their number one. So it's under a congressional investigation. PayPal, MasterCard, and Visa have all dropped and said they will not receive any transactions from them. But cryptocurrency remains a viable transaction industry. That is troubling for me. I don't want to kind of pigeonhole and say all of crypto is sort of doing involved in some of this dark, these dark transactions. But I do want to say that I'm disturbed that all of these other entities have made this decision that we're not going to endorse this kind of site that is freely and openly showing the rape of children and people and making money off of that. One case in particular that is really disturbing, a girl named Rose Kalimba was 14 when she got raped. Her video was uploaded to Pornhub and it was viewed 400,000 times. These are the kinds of things she couldn't get them to take it down until she threatened legal action. And so these are the kinds of things that disturb me. And I think that as a financial community, as the investors that are part of this community who want to see their money being used in good ways, want to know that it is my cryptocurrency, the the provider that I use, the Bitcoin I use, is it endorsing these kinds of behaviors or are they going to line up with the other concerned financial entities? Now, you had mentioned that there's patterns. I would think that with patterns, there'd be some scientists creating algorithms to identify them. Is there anything happening in the fintech arena right now that is being developed to kind of spot these these patterns and report them? Yeah, artificial intelligence is absolutely in play here. These sort of the data analytics that we can do, we can figure out, we can absolutely figure this out. The question is, and this is a little, maybe there's a little conspiracy theory here is, do we really want to? I mean, because 
we know that the profile of the individual who's often buying people is a 34 to 50 year old male who is affluent, who's living in the buyers. When you look at the reports, like let's say from Oakland, not people who live in Oakland, it's people who are coming from affluent areas into Oakland to buy children. So the question becomes, do they really want to be found? And do they really want those analytics to uncover these behaviors? Because there's no doubt in my mind, if we can figure out some of the horrific, I mean, we figure out so many other problems, right? This is an easy problem to figure out. Some people are so blatant. I had one child that was being emailed by a CEO of a company with his work email. I was just blown away, like, wow, just like that, you know? And it's like, you can't tell me that the security team isn't seeing this. You can't tell me that people are not checking on this kind of stuff. Are you, you know, if you're looking at these kinds of things while on a work computer, it's an indicator that you need some help. Not interested in a witch hunt, but I am interested in keeping people safe, vulnerable people, and also getting some help to people who feel the urge to do something like that to kids. You're talking about artificial intelligence there. Is artificial intelligence being used at all to target children currently? Yeah, there's a program called Marinus Analytics, and it was developed in partnership uh, with uh, NICMIC, National Missing and Exploited Children Agency. And there's a couple others. Ashton Kutcher, the name of his organization is escaping me at the moment, but he has an anti-trafficking organization as well called Thorn. They are doing some interesting analytics around looking at patterns, looking at ads, looking at facial recognition, especially when children are missing. I'm not sure if the listening audience may not be aware, but when people are today, people are sold online for the most part, especially during COVID. And so when you have a child who's missing, and they're being sold online, you have the opportunity to use some software, right? Facial recognition software to locate them and hopefully bring them to safety. Unfortunately, it's a lot more complicated than just using the technology to uncover the whereabouts of the individual. You need the manpower. You need the infrastructure to actually house the individual once you find them. When they come back after they, I mean, these are some horrific data points, but, and I'm sorry if they're gut-wrenching, but they're real. A child is being raped nine to 21 times a day by different people when they're being sold. For them to just come back home to a family member, to a mother who's maybe a single mom who still has to work, it's not practical that that mom would be, would even know how to care for that child. And so that's the complicated aspect of this is obviously we want to prevent this from ever happening and we want to catch it. We want to set up honeypots so that If we see something like this, there's actually a group of guys, they're part of an organization called Epic and they do this. They set up honeypots online, buyers to intervene early, right? So saying, hey, dude, like putting up a little honeypot that says, hey, young girls, click here. And they click there and they're like, dude, this is like a kid. Like you're like killing this kid emotionally. You're killing her mom, her dad with your behaviors, get some help. And I really appreciate that group for what they're doing. But anyway, it's really important to know, like, it's so complicated. It's not just using tech. 
but what happens after the tech gives you the data? What are you going to do with it? That's interesting. What will you do after the tech gives you the data? Now, are there any apps out there like in the marketplace uh, on iPhone store or anything like that, that kind of have red flags for you? (laughs) Oh yeah. I think you and I talked about this beforehand. Oh my gosh. I feel sorry for you, Sean, because that, I remember that day we, I had just discovered all these apps and I was like, I was through the roof, you know, about it because I found an app that was called my virtual boyfriend and it was for ages four to 12. And I thought to myself, what in the world does a four-year-old need a virtual boyfriend that's telling them, I love you. I missed you today. I can't wait to see you. And furthermore, isn't that preparing a young child grooming them, even if it is a bot of some kind, isn't it grooming them for trafficking and for child abuse in the future? I was blown away. And there was a virtual girlfriend. That one was, I think it was like for 12-year-old boys but or 12-year-old girls, but it, it was just mind-blowing that there was this marketing going on. And then, of course, My question was, is this a person behind here harvesting information about a young child's vulnerabilities or is this a bot? I opened up a couple cases, as I told you, and those cases are still being uh, looked into. And I said, one of the things that really disturbed me is there were so many apps that were clearly trafficking apps that said things like secret date, secret spot, hot girls meet rich guys. And they put the age range of 17 plus on the app. But what that does is if I type in hot girls and I'm 16, it will present that because it's for under 18. So it's sort of this range of under 18. So it will present that app to me. So I asked the question for both Apple and Google tech support, and they're kind of going through that now. Why are these app providers marketing purposely to a younger audience? Why aren't they saying 18 and above? Well, because it's, they want more subscribers. I think that they are participating and very dangerously, I must say, my dad, in this process and they need to, they need to be more responsible. With that, how much responsibility do you think these app stores have for lock in or bet in the apps before they go on their marketplace. Yeah, I think we saw there was some legislation that was went into law called SESTA FOSTA a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember, but Salesforce was actually there was a lawsuit placed against them for developing an app that was being used to sell people. The developers were very hands off in kind of understanding like what it was that they were helping them put together. I believe the, it was settled, but what I think that showed us is that we, as a tech community, we have to ask ourselves, what is this being used for? What is this about? How are people going to be safe? And we know that even more and more, I mean, even I'm of the mind that even when we create tech that is going to displace people from jobs, there's a social responsibility. It's not just about ROI. It's about human factors. It's like, okay, if I'm going to displace people from their livelihood, what am I infusing into the market so that people can be retrained for new opportunities? 
for me, there's this just this constant social responsibility that I feel we have as tech leaders to ensure that our tech is ensuring the safety of vulnerable people in our community. Speaking of that, of this place in people and the kind of mindset, how can one, I guess I want to say either retrain their mind or how should people be thinking about things as they discover them on the app store or online? Well, I think for me, when I saw that, I said, huh, you know, so I just like, I, I challenge anyone who's listening, just do a quick little search in your app store for something that you think might be an 18 and over topic and see what comes up and look at the age range on that app. And if you, if it doesn't line up with what you think is appropriate, report it. And there is a whole process that you can use to report it. And I think, you know, we're getting to that place, I think, as a society, and we've just seen so many behaviors in our society that are anti certain races and anti certain genders and certain identities. And this is an issue of protecting vulnerable people and speaking up and being not being complicit, not being a a silent bystander that just walks by the app, digitally speaking, right? And says, ah, too bad for those kids that might get ensnared in that. Right. But says, oh, this is not okay. Let me just open up a case. And you know, the one thing I will say, Sean, is that I often do things and the results that I'd like, I'm, I'd like to see the things happen. You know, I'd like to see the app taken down or whatever, you know, I'd like to hear world hunger doesn't happen. Right. But I did my part and that make, that allows me to sleep at night. Speaking of everyone having to do their part, the apps that are in the app store, the data that they're collecting right now, aren't there all these laws out there saying if, the person's a minor, they can't collect the data or, I mean, we hear about Europe laws being a little bit stricter, but now they're being kind of adopted here in the States. Like what are the laws around that data for people under anyone or under the age of 18? Yeah, I think what I'm learning is actually, I was just talking about this the other day is that we sign a lot of terms and conditions that give tech companies rights to use our images and our data in ways that we have no idea, right? We sign away personal privacy left and right. And many of these platforms say that you're not supposed to be even this age in order to be on them. We're checking these boxes saying we are that the required age to sign up. And then we're posting certain pictures and those pictures happen to be like, on certain platforms, videos and pictures are actually owned by those companies or can be used by those companies in promotional ways. And we are not even aware of that. How much of this, one example recently I had last year, a young lady who found that her picture had been taken off of her social media and a morphing software was used with her face. Her face was placed on another person's body and was having sex with somebody else. And that was posted. This happened in Contra Costa County. That was posted online. And she was really upset about it. it made it look like she was doing something she wasn't. And they used a morphing software to do that. And, and the feedback back from the provider was, well, your picture you gave us, you made your picture public when you put your picture on my platform. And so someone took your public picture and they used this software. And there's actually some loopholes in the laws 
allowing this individual to not only take this person as an adult, but to take children's pictures that are posted online and morph them into sexual pictures, people doing sexual acts. And there are a lot of loopholes about whether that's considered child pornography because a child wasn't harmed in the process of making it. You're talking about this morphin software. I mean, I've heard about it in the past for voice. I didn't know it was that easy for face as well. When are we going to get to the point where we don't believe anything we see online? Yeah, I mean, I think we're there. (laughs) I mean, there's catfish everywhere, right? I mean, it's to the point now where filters and everything can alter every bit of your face, your presence and your identity. And so it's great. I'm a huge proponent of technology and it's made it so that I can meet thousands of people in a short period of time. But when you're talking about some of these more in-depth, intimate relationships, we've really got to take the time to get to know each other better. And we also have to take the time to think through our own behaviors and say, is this making, am I safe here? Is my family safe in making some of these decisions and having some of those discussions with our kids and people in the community? And then also very importantly, empathy for those children and those people in our community that may not have someone who's safe, helping them guide them through that process. So with the advancements of technology, if you were in charge, what new technology would you create to help the situation out or what new technology laws would you try to enact? What would you do to kind of better the situation if you had complete power? First of all, again, we talked about, I think of things in terms of systems. There's got to be an end to end process whereby I could design some software and I could put all kinds of AI in place that uncovers these challenges. And then we'd come back to what are we going to do once we find it? So if I had my way with it, I'd make sure that there was an end-to-end system and look at some of the root causes that, that are kind of leaving large groups of people vulnerable to these kinds of challenges. But technically speaking, I would say things like helping us find missing children more readily, right? Immediately. One of the things that's very disturbing to me recently, we had a child that was missing 16 year old. I did some searching for her. We were able to find her in a couple months. Well, hey, after a couple months, I told you how many times they're being abused daily. Just pretty indoctrinated in the life. How do you unravel all of that trauma? How about getting a hold of her ad online immediately? How about noticing right now the big thing that people are doing is watch parties on different social media platforms. What they do is they do like a little strip tease to a public audience and then they close the tease and they say, if you want back in, you got to cash at me, Venmo me or Zell me to continue in, in my watch party. We know when watch parties are going on. So why don't we have bots going nudity? Let me go pull an analyst into this watch party and take a look and see, is this person look like they're young? Does this person, is this, where is this? What's the IP address of this streaming video? Is it in the US? Well, it's illegal to do this here. If it's somewhere else where it's legal to do, maybe it's a brothel in Nevada or whatever. Okay, fine, then leave that going. But if the law says that this is not supposed to be happening here, you have a case. I might be oversimplifying it. I know I am. If you can 
grab screen, screen scrapes and see that somebody is what they're doing. They identity do facial recognition on a person and match it back to a database saying this is a child. And then open up a police report and actually have police trained to know what to do with that kind of situation. You can have you can rack up cases. One thing that disturbed me to no end is we had the attorney general shut down myredbook.com, which was about six, seven years ago. And there, there was tons. I don't know if you're familiar with my red book, but it was a site where people were being sold. Children were being sold in the wide open, very similar to what I talked about with Pornhub. And literally their pictures were up there. Their body parts were described like whether they had a big bottom and big this or small that, whether they had hair on different parts of their body. I mean, described in detail. And they were rated by stars on this website. The attorney general harvested all that information. Why didn't we hear about thousands of arrests? Because people were buying those girls for years and all the data is right there. Was it not enough data? Was it not enough? Was it not compelling enough? What had the statute of limitations run out? What was the problem? Why don't we hear like today, my red book data was harvested and literally brought in tens of thousands of people were arrested. I think once you start seeing that kind of behavior, and, and by the way, I have to say this, we have people that are restored um, buyers of sex that work with Love Never Fails. And I'm, I'm empathetic to their position as well. Many of them have said to me, I didn't know that was a child. I never would have done that if I had known that, or I was a drug addict when I was doing that. I was an alcoholic when I was doing that. And I have empathy for that. I still say, you got to be accountable. You got to be stopped. This has got to stop. And there's got to be some recourse and some classes and some counseling and some things that you've got to be directed to because your behavior is not safe. I remember a couple of years ago, I was at a tech convention and this one startup had, you know, we can tell your age, just, it was a webcam you walked by and it, it showed the ages you're walking by. Mm-hmm. And I was looking and I knew the people with me, it was all within plus or minus two years. Yeah. And this was, you know, this was before COVID. So this was two years ago. So yeah. I would think the technology would advance so much that they'd pretty much be spot on any video anywhere. Yeah. So with that technology, one, is there government budget or anything actually deploying it? Is there even budget allocated that type of technology for the public sector or is there anything going on there? I think that organizations like National Missing and Exploited Children, they're working on things like that. I haven't seen any. So, so we apply for grants with the Office of Victim of Crime. We also apply for county and, and state and federal grants. I have not seen any grants that call for this kind of AI software development, data analytic type of process. And perhaps it's because there's a realization that you have to have the infrastructure in place again to respond to. So what happens when it, like today, I don't have that. And I have a list of people that need beds. I have a list of people that need jobs, that need workforce, you know, that need, I have, I have 70 people in my class in my IT academy right now that are taking Cisco and Google and HP and Agile and Microsoft classes. We're progressing them through. And when we get done, put bringing them through, they need to get jobs. 
And the thing that's challenging about this is if I don't have anything to offer them, then I'm pretty much saying, go back to what you were doing. 56% of my students are women. 68% of my students are black and Latino. And the most hard hit populations with the pandemic and certainly the most impoverished in our community, you pretty much are kind of, you'll send them back to these old places that they've used for survival if we don't have other alternatives. So again, it's really complicated. And yet from a technological standpoint, it's right at our fingertips. We can solve this. We can figure out where this is happening. Maybe not the most sophisticated situations, but a lot of what's happening right now is so blatant. Going back to cryptocurrency, there's a group that develops bank coins, booty coins. What are we doing with that, right? Like you're so blatant as to call your coins bank coin and booty coin. Like, shouldn't that just be a a red flag for law enforcement? Like I'll be all over you all day, every day. But again, I think also too, we, we put a lot of pressure on law enforcement to respond to these things. And it's got to be a community response. We all have to feel empowered that we are smart enough and we have big enough hearts to make a change. Now let's talk about your program and kind of the technology and that, that they're learning. Can you talk a little bit about actually the process? What are they learning? How long is the courses? What type of opportunities do they have after they graduate? I'm curious about that. Love never fails. Initially, we opened up our first house six years ago for women and their children. Since then, we've opened up three more. So we have four total houses, two houses for women and children, one house for men and their families, and one house for girls ages 13 to 17. So we have 27 beds. And as people were graduating from our first home, we realized we had helped them, partnered with them on becoming emotionally psychologically, physically, spiritually restored, but we hadn't worked on the financial freedom. And so that's where we began to focus on economic sustainability. And we decided to become a Cisco Networking Academy initially. And then since then, we've become a California certified cybersecurity and networking pre-apprenticeship program. We're also a Department of Rehabilitation vendor, and we are a Cal Jobs training provider. And our specialty is to get people that know nothing about tech and get them interested in tech. And that's been really, I feel so grateful to be able to introduce these individuals to tech because they're so excited about it. And they never thought they were smart enough. They never thought anybody would take the time to show them what tech entails. And so we literally start by doing a digital literacy class. Then we move them into a tech entrepreneurship class. And we do that in partnership with Renaissance Entrepreneurship Center. So we kind of partner up some entrepreneurial coaches with the tech training. And then we progress them into an intro to cyber class. And then we end with a CompTIA A plus class. So that, that at least is our format for this year. Last year we did, we ended with a Google IT class. And each year we kind of look at what are the hot certs and where should we focus. Out of those it's the 35 week program. It's 10 hours a week. We are so grateful. We actually have, um, t- uh, Google has agreed to sponsor 20 interns. HP's agreed to sponsor 10 interns. An organization called Corporate E-Waste Solutions is sponsoring 20 as well, a, a part-time 
Other organizations are stepping in. High tech companies, Scale is another one. Synac is another. They're stepping in to say, I'll sponsor uh, an intern. And that internship is a 40 hour internship. So it's fairly brief. But then when they come out of that, we need to be able to place them in positions. And with the five positions, the target roles that we're looking at placing them in is a help desk technician type of role, a network management or security management position of some kind, a customer service position in maybe a tech world or in a healthcare space, project management. And then, of course, we're encouraging all of them to diversify their income by becoming entrepreneurs while working for someone else become your own boss and start cultivating your own business. That's kind of our process. And like I said, we are getting some support from some tech firms in the Valley and we couldn't be more grateful. And we just need to see more of that. And like I said, we have 70 students. We enrolled 300 students this past year during the pandemic. 70 students right now are in our cohort. And these are, I can't say enough good things. I mean, these, these people get on our classes and they have their baby sitting on their laps and they're learning about tech while they're taking care of a child, which is school has been out. childcare is not open. Right. So they're like, they're after it. There's people that are, um, have disabilities yet. They're still there. They may have to kind of review the content multiple times, but they're there. Some people are on the autism spectrum. I'm really learning about some of those, the challenges and some of the benefits of people that are on the spectrum, incredible benefits, such a resilience to be able to deal with things that would like people yelling at you that make a normal, someone who's not on the spectrum, like cry. And they're like, no, like, I mean, just like great things about people that are on the spectrum. Like it it just rolls off off of them like nothing. And that's, I'm, I'm generalizing, but there are things about each one of our students that demonstrate their resilience and how they can literally be plugged in to meet many of our talent acquisition challenges right now in the, in the Valley, if there's willing sponsors. Can you share maybe either some success stories of some graduates or maybe percentage that go on to get jobs or some of the results that have yeah. happened? So our first cohort was in 2018. We had five students, 80%. So four of those students went on to obtain sustainable jobs, meaning at least $20 an hour, but most of them were more than that. And they've maintained those jobs since then. Our valedictorian of that cohort, it was a pilot cohort, now works at Cisco as a network engineer. And she was never in tech. She's a survivor of human trafficking. She was trafficked for eight years. Her son, who was on the spectrum, was held as a hostage until she made her daily quota. If you can imagine coming out of that, she came and lived in our home. She graduated from our home. And then she went on to take our IT Academy classes, graduated from that at the top of her class, was hired by Cisco and has been with them ever since. And it's just in the lab. I called her the other day and she's like, I'm in the lab. I can't talk to you right now. But she actually spoke with me at the anti-money laundering conference last week and think big. And she, we have now been invited to another conference in Las Vegas to address the live audience of bankers there. I mean, if you can imagine, like talk about the transformation there, like I'm being invited to Vegas to talk about what people should look for in terms of financial transactions to fight against human trafficking, the place that's like the hub of 
of trafficking in many people's eyes. And so I just think it's, it's really powerful. And I could give you story upon story. I have another intern that is working at a high tech company in San Francisco right now. And she graduated from our Google IT cohort last year. And she also took some cyber classes, no tech in her background. She's getting ready to buy a house in another state. She's graduating from our housing program. She's a tech intern. She's doing all kinds of big things. And oh, she's a life coach for other coaching organization that we partner with, Solchin Solutions. They provide coaching to our IT biz students. And she was hired by them to coach our students because she's so incredible and her story is so inspirational. The students feel that they can do it because she has. So Vanessa, we're wrapping up time and we're going to open it up questions to our audience. But before that, just for the people on the podcast, yeah. if people want to find out more information about you, what you're working on, what's the best way to go about doing it? Yeah. So they can go to our website, which is loveneverfailsus.com. They can also read, reach out to me personally, which is Vanessa at loveneverfailsus.com. We have a radio show that airs every Saturday uh, at, on 1100 AM or kfax.com. And that is at 3 PM or 6 PM on Sundays. And we also are just very active on our social media. We have a Facebook page, which is Facebook fan page. Instagram is love never fails us. And Twitter is love never fails five. Fantastic. All that information will be in the show notes. And with that, I'm going to end the recording and say, thank you, Vanessa. But now we're going to open it up questions to our audience. Okay. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley podcast. To access our resources, visit us at the Silicon Valley podcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only before making any decisions, consult a professional.